What's good, everybody? I'm here with another edition of BK Talks, and I want to go ahead and try to do another edition of tackling Twitter takes, wrestling-centric. Uh, so basically, what I do is go through a few bookmarked tweets, uh, read them uh, without any names attached, and just give my opinion on what's said. Uh, the intention is not to really slander anyone personally, which is why I try to strip away the names. And it is just to really go into the content and the context uh, of the tweet. So I'm going to begin that with my very first tweet. I feel like I got to set up this first one. So as I'm recording this on Friday, June 24th, uh, we are like two days away from the first ever Forbidden Door show, which is the AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling Joint Supercard. I've given my thoughts on the idea in a previous episode of BK Talks. And just to recap, I'm pretty positive or favorable in terms of my reaction to the show, like from its announcement. Um, I think it's a good thing that to have collaboration and joint cards and stuff like that. I don't have any issues with it. Um, it doesn't mean I don't acknowledge some of the legitimate criticisms about it. But all in all, I think it's it's a sound idea, something that uh, feeds into the fan base that AEW currently has, has and uh, feeds into, I'm assuming, New Japan Pro Wrestling's domestic fan base. It's Well, it's American fan base. I guess that's the best or most accurate way uh, to describe what I mean. And for a guy like me who isn't, all that up to date on the modern day New Japan pro wrestling scene. Uh, it's a, it's probably a decent way for me to familiarize myself with certain people that might catch my eye. Um, aside, like some of the New Japan strong guys I'm familiar with, and some of the legacy acts that have been around in New Japan for a long time I'm familiar with. But just all all around, uh, it might be a good way for a guy like myself to familiarize my, you know, get familiar with some of the people that are working for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And uh, it might not have a broader appeal than the like the more hardcore uh, aspect of the more hardcore fringes of wrestling fan base, but I still feel like it's something that's worthwhile um, to do. Um, with that said, there has been criticism, as I acknowledged before, and some of this criticism is coming from people who are indeed hardcore wrestling fans, people who are incredibly familiar with Japanese pro wrestling and the uh, Japanese pro wrestling scene. And when some of those fans feel like the build for this show uh, isn't what they expected or they don't have the kind of enthusiasm for this show, uh, a lot of, I guess, the more strident AEW supporters fire back at them and try to make things out to be like a situation where the fan themselves might not be knowledgeable, quote unquote, or the fan uh, is brainwashed or like an e-drone. Uh, essentially, if you're not hyped about the Forbidden Door show, then there's something wrong with you. That's the kind of take uh, that I've seen expressed by quite a few people online uh, this particular uh, tweet in question um, is 
by someone who is a long time fan of Japanese professional wrestling. And when they offer up their critique, they're not coming from an anti uh, AEW perspective. They're not coming from any kind of uh, perspective that would indicate that they have a bias against AEW offhand, like just looking at that person's tweets over some time. They might be critical, but I don't get the sense that they're being critical for the sake of being critical or, or critical because they're biased against AEW. So I'm going to read the tweet and then I'm going to read, I guess, the quote tweet that got my attention. So the tweet reads as follows. The Forbidden Door card fucking sucks. I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. It just fucking sucks. I really wish it didn't considering I'm going to it at all. But it's just not good. And the quote tweet reads as follows. People like this have obviously never watched supercards like SWS, WWF, WCW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, NOAA, All Japan, New, J New Japan Pro Wrestling, and so on and so forth. And the person responds back with their own quote tweet. Literally have seen every show named here as if that should be a requirement to say that a card looks bad. Call me when you've watched Earthquake versus Koji Katao. Is <laughs> a very weird flex though. I'll give you that. <laughs> so, as I mentioned before, the, the person who said that the card sucks is a long time Japanese uh, pro wrestling fan. And I think based on what I've read from their timeline, they're a person who actually understands some of the like knows how to read Japanese. Um, so they're, from my standpoint, someone that, I don't wanna use the word, use, use this term like of that culture, but someone who's really uh, invested in the culture to the point where they actually went out to try and learn how to read some of the language. And so I gotta give that person props from it. And it, it as someone, who is a longtime Japanese wrestling fan, I gotta also assume that they have a certain standard that they that they look for in their wrestling shows that involve Japanese pro wrestlers. The, the funniest part about this whole exchange is the fact that person A, the person who said that the card sucks, has been watching Japanese pro wrestling longer than person B has been alive because I think person B is like a 19 year old super smart fan and not going to play the age game per se but there are a lot of quote unquote younger fans who try who, who are smart they watch a wide variety of wrestling content they are smart they are in the bubble they are deeply invested in the bubble they know their stuff However, it doesn't mean they're the only ones who know their stuff. And I think a lot of, well, in some cases, I don't want to say a lot or whatever, but in many cases or in a, uh, some notable cases, you have some of these people trying to lord their uh, knowledge over. Sorry, uh, they try to lord their fandom and their knowledge over on others. And in some case, they kind of bark up the wrong tree. Um, but like, again, again, I'm not trying to make this an age thing because fans start somewhere. I mean, 
when I first became smart, I was, what, 16 years old or so. And I started to learn about All Japan Pro Wrestling via some knowledgeable wrestling fans in chat rooms. And uh, later on, got to interact with folks on message boards. And it was cool. It was a cool experience. And uh, I feel like I gained a lot from it. I personally didn't try to big time other fans over uh, over that knowledge, though. <laughs> uh, but it does feel like sometimes people do that. But in a bigger context, it also seems to highlight something I mentioned before, that when AEW faces any kind of criticism, legitimate criticism, I'll specify, you have like an army of people who are willing to do whatever they can to discredit the people who are offering the criticism because it's almost as if AEW is a perfect product or the closest thing to a perfect product and no one should say anything remotely negative about it and that that gives off a very bad uh, that, that leaves people with a very bad impression of some of the more vocal AEW fans and I mean, I don't, I don't really have an answer for what the, what the end game of all this stuff will be, but I, I do know that it does make people not like uh, to interact. It makes people, I, I want to word that in a less clumsy way. It makes people less willing <laughs> to engage with some AEW wrestling fans uh, because they feel like their opinions will be taken as bad faith or as some kind of ignorance or a lack of knowledge or some kind of failing on the part of the person offering the criticism. When, I mean, in this very case, it's clearly not not the situation. Uh, you got a fan who does know and likely watched a lot more Japanese Puro uh, than that, you know, the 19-year-old fan who was trying to call him out. And uh, <laughs> that, that was just a very interesting thing that stood out to me. And person A is somebody who... I don't necessarily agree with all of their wrestling takes, but one thing I will never take away from that person is the fact that they are a long-time wrestling fan. I don't know their exact age, but I'm assuming they're probably in that same age group as as me, likely someone who I'm, I'm I keep mentioning it, I'm going to be 40 and just under just over a month I'll be 40. Early August I'll be 40. And I'm assuming that this gentleman is likely in that lady late not lady, <laughs> that late 30s to early 40s age range um, that's my assumption but I think that's time for me to move on to the next Twitter take here's another one related to the joint supercard alright here's the tweet AEW has a, has a good card that any major company would kill for AEW fan refuses to buy because it's not tailored perfectly to their specific fantasy booking. Alright, so now I'm going to offer up my opinion or response to this Twitter take. Well, actually, let me go ahead and <laughs> read a, another response. And this person, I, I almost want to read this person's name or give this person's name because they are another person who's clearly, clearly, just by knowing their content because they are a YouTuber, uh, and they're notable notable for their coverage of Japanese pro wrestling, in particular New Japan pro wrestling. Um, it's clear that this person knows their stuff too. So it's another case where the criticisms 
or any kind of uh, slight uh, might come from a source that isn't the typical stereotypical e-drone the person that i guess the AEW fan expects to criticize this show so let me read the response the show will be fun but it's not what was expected it'd be like x-men versus street fighter but you're missing ryu ken wolverine storm etc of course if you don't know x-men you wouldn't know what you're missing finger wagging those that do is a bit weird though and the person responds back okay but all the exclusions are out of out of the control of the people booking the product. Surely that mitigates the disappointment, knowing that this is them working with what they have. All right. <laughs> so the person responds back: If your girl, if your girlfriend or boyfriend invited you to sleep together tonight, and when you get there they meant sleep in the same bed and not sex, I imagine you might understand and still be disappointed. Savvy. And the person responds back, that's the stupidest comparison I've ever heard. Yes, it's the analogy that's stupid here. <laughs> uh, this person responded back, how can I make this about sex? And the next person responds back, how can I make this so even an obtuse person would get the point? And the person re replies back, what's your point? The scenarios are not remotely similar. So I'm not going to show any bias towards the person who has that YouTube channel, but uh, I do because I don't always agree with that person's opinions on stuff either, but I do get the analogy. Um, so, yes, the Forbidden Door, Forbidden Door show will not have quite a few noteworthy uh, wrestlers on the show. Like, there's some glaring, like, glaring omissions from this show. Like, I, I'll go and run through some names. This Forbidden Door show won't have Brian Danielson. This Forbidden Door show won't have Kenny Omega. Uh, won't have CM Punk. It won't have, uh, I think, Andrade. Uh, I think Ishii had to pull out of the show and making way for Clark Connors. And I think I mentioned uh, in a previous episode that I kind of wanted Clark Connors to make it. I didn't want him to have to uh, get there because of wrestler didn't clear the medical protocols or whatever but i'm still happy that clark connor's got in um, but and there's some other guys too that i could probably run through but if you are a guy who was heavily invested in this kind of major supercard show and you don't have some of those notable names involved with the show it's natural to not have the same level of enthusiasm even if you know the circumstances i mean you understand that uh, a card can only have people that are available like you, you can't build a card around people who are injured or unavailable for whatever reason but it still doesn't stop people from feeling a little deflated because of the expectation so while that example that person a well i guess technically the responding person person b the guy with the youtube channel and large following uh, while his analogy involved sex and that is a bit off-putting for some people uh, I, I understood the analogy. If you have the expectations behind something, you get your hearts set up for it, and then when you get it and it's not exactly what you had, yeah, you're going to feel disappointed. Uh, now, you can argue whether or not people should be artificially uh, building interest in something that wasn't really advertised to them. You can make that point, but it doesn't change the fact that uh, people would be disappointed by it. By it. So, doesn't it doesn't stop people from looking at this card and feeling like hmm, it's not really worth me putting down the money for it uh, 
I mean, there are a lot of people who did, obviously, because they plunked down to $50. You had a lot of people who were flying out of town to Chicago for a destination event. So people are spending money, but you can't really force everybody to come up off $50 to watch a show. And they and streaming it is streaming it, yes. But, I mean, if you're, you're asking about supporting, quote-unquote, a show, then paying for it, you're asking them to put the money down. And if they don't feel like the show will meet their standards for ex, ex, an expense of $50, $50 that can go towards gas <laughs> uh, in certain parts of the country um, or go towards buying food. And that's, that's where I come in. I uh, actually did grocery shopping earlier today. <laughs> you know, I got, me personally, I got a family. I have expenses that entertainment uh, won't trump. I got certain things that I'm prepared for a vacation with the family in August. Uh, so me working my overtime hours, I'm going to be a little more discretionary with how I spend uh, those available dollars. So I'm not going to ever jump down somebody's neck for not plunking down the money for something that they don't feel like they'll get their money's worth for. I mean, and that's their prerogative. That's their perspective. Um, where the WWE, and I hate to bring WWE into something that has nothing to do with the WWE, because God knows people do it too often, but I'm not doing it with any malicious intent or to try to put down AEW. Um, it's just to highlight that when they moved over to this uh, non-pay-per-view model and the streaming model, I think it made it easier for people to kind of bite the bullet because you plunk down like your $10 for the network formerly and now with Peacock or even $5, I think, for the, the the basic version of Peacock. I think you are able to get the WWE stuff with that. You plunk down your, your $5 to $10 and you get the pay-per-view events rolled into this whole package. It's not like you're absorbing a single hit for a disappointing show. So you're paying 10 bucks a month. I mean, you can probably, you know... Uh, suck it up when it comes to like a show that might not necessarily meet your interest because you're getting that premium live event or pay-per-view in addition to all the classic content and all this other stuff and the non-wrestling stuff so it's not like you're gonna feel bad about say SummerSlam not meeting your expectations for whatever reason because you only spent 10 bucks uh, in the grand scheme of things so uh, so I can understand it from this perspective of the fan who might be a little hesitant to put down another 50 bucks because I think uh, AW just had a pay-per-view too. So you're asking the same fan base or the, I guess, the more hardcore elements of that fan base to put down money for something that they're probably not that hyped up about. So with that said, I'm going to move on to the next Twitter take. All right, this one might be a little controversial because uh, it's a wrestling media-centric tweet. And I know that wrestling media uh, at times gets a lot of criticism. And you can make the argument that in many cases it's, it's warranted. Uh, at the same time, I, I do think that I'm probably a lot more uh, favorable or positive towards wrestling media overall. Because I don't look at them as like the end-all, be-all. I kind of view it for what it is. And uh, because of that... Uh, I'm not trying to, uh, I, I, I will never knock the hustle. I guess that's probably the best way to, to say it. I'm not going to knock a next person's uh, pursuit of, of paper. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so 
I recorded an episode regarding the Vince McMahon situation, but I decided let me hold back a little bit, maybe a little more information will come back. But just to summarize my thoughts and then get into the actual topic, uh, I don't really like the whole situation with Vince McMahon, even if the situation is like 100% ca- uh, consensual, only because of the power dynamics and the uh, the perception of how things are. Uh, you really every every damn near every employee in America, employer in America, has some kind of written policy on the books. Well, I can't even say damn near. Every employer that I've worked for <laughs> had some kind of written policy on the book about like fraternizing and uh, more specifically relationships with uh, relationships between uh, management and superiors and subordinates like all that stuff is written out like in black and white on paper so that they can avoid all kinds of negative situations that arise from it um, so that's my overall take on that situation uh, it might not necessarily be criminal because if you got two adults who are agreeing to do something and one of those adults is agreeing agreeing to pay the other person for something i mean ain't much you can really do with that uh aside from talk about the power dynamics and the work structure and all that other stuff but so that's the probably the extent of my take on that until more information comes out but in the wake of all of that the i guess the most interesting or one of the more interesting points of this uh, revelation about Vince McMahon is that the story was broken by like the Wall Street Journal, which is seen as legitimate mainstream media. And that leads me into this tweet uh, by an individual that I'm not going to name, obviously. Uh, And this person, I believe, is considered a journalist themselves. So here's the take. Yesterday, none of the reporters in the wrestling space had any idea that the WWE's board had been investigating the CEO slash founder for two months. You should keep this in mind when you imbue them with this almost omnipotent knowledge of what's happening in wrestling behind the scenes. All right. Um, And for reference, I bookmarked this tweet from like maybe a couple weeks ago, not even a couple weeks ago, like about a week ago (laughs) Um, as of this segment's recording. One of the recurring discussions that happen in relation to uh, wrestling media is the idea that they don't break major stories they don't really break any important news and that the majority of the stories that they break are in relation to uh, things that relate to the product on screen so you'll get a lot of news about people who are signing you'll get news about releases i think that's been a really big uh, source of news in recent years with the wwe releasing so many people uh you also get news about booking, stuff of that nature. But uh, this story was broken by the Wall Street Journal. And people would suspect that if any major shakeups, like company, uh, business, that kind of stuff, uh, those stories would be broken by like the major mainstream news outlets. Because uh, I think their sources might be plugged into those types of inner workings of the business and as it stands now uh, I don't know that some of these uh, stories that are talked about by wrestling media types tend to veer in that direction I might be wrong I'm just speaking from my own perspective and admittedly I don't consume wrestling media 
uh, as frequently as I used to. I uh, became a little, well, not a little, but became a smart fan when I was like 16 in the late 90s, uh, reading the wrestling news sites. And over the years, I had like varying levels of investment um, in wrestling news, like to the point where I was like, really really invested in finding out the different things that would happen like constantly on the websites checking for things uh to the state where i am right now where honestly i just let stuff play out <laughs> on on screen um and if i do see any news that comes out it's usually on the timeline but i'm not like actively searching for uh, wrestling news um but i don't want that statement to be taken as some kind of a slight at wrestling news or a slight at people who crave the wrestling news and I mean, that that's where I guess me and a couple of people I'm really cool with might differ because I don't have the same type of or the same level of uh, frustration with wrestling media um, I guess my frustration with wrestling media comes from uh, them not really actively seeking out like experts to talk about certain stories uh, because and I don't want to veer into this other discussion uh, too deeply because I've spoken about it before but there are stories where I feel like uh, like a lot of the media types aren't necessarily well versed in a particular area so as media uh, they should just call in experts who are uh, we see it with mainstream media, like if there's like a big shooting or a big uh, major crime event or some kind of uh, major situa situation that involves like law enforcement, you'll have uh, media personalities on CNN or MSNBC or even that terrible Fox News call in folks who have law enforcement experience or people who have some kind of uh, administrative experience in a like a major city municipality people who have who've been in the field i guess for lack of a better term and I, I feel like in wrestling that's a missed opportunity there because there are a lot of people who are wrestling fans who come from these other experienced backgrounds um, like you can definitely find a couple of doctors who love wrestling um, and are experts in their respective fields. I, I think I mentioned it in the episode regarding Cody, Cody Rhodes. You can have those guys on who give you like their insight on what a, an injury timetable typically looks like. And they're giving it to you from their perspective of having dealt with or read in-depth literature regarding it. Um, and I feel like that's important. I feel like from the business side, when, they, when these media calls, not the media calls, the uh, quarterly earnings calls come out, you got to find somebody from the financial world who can really dig deep into the numbers and kind of give context to us lay people. Because I consider myself to be a lay person in a lot of these uh, uh, endeavors. So that's my only, that's the main source of my frustration. And, but like, in terms of like the gossipy stuff and the rumors, that stuff doesn't necessarily appeal to me anymore at age 40, the way it might have at age 16 through, I don't know, early 20s or whatever. Um, and 
I think I mentioned it before in a previous episode. I, I'm on good terms with at least one person in the wrestling media space. I'm not, I won't say that like we're friends because we've never actually met one another. Uh, and we became acquainted with one another through uh, like an, another online, I guess mutual is the appropriate term to use now. And then we have a bunch of common mutuals. And some of those mutuals are people that I've known quote unquote known I guess in the online sense for almost 20 years like since the message board days um, so that's probably the extent of my connection to you know, at least one person in the wrestling media space um, that doesn't mean that, that the industry itself the wrestling media industry itself is not without criticism because you do have a lot of people out there who rush to get stories out there uh they don't really come back and admit when they're wrong about a story. And some of them don't really thoroughly vet <laughs> uh, stories or they create stories. There are a bunch of people out there and there are people who are reputable and that I feel like you should have more respect for than others. Um, but this might be a case that, I mean, I hate to use the word exposes because I'm not trying to be heavy handed in that way, but this is probably a story that indicates that the wrestling news media won't have the same level of access or they're not privy to all the same pieces of information that a mainstream publication might have um and i mean that i guess that is what it is it's like there's nothing they can really do about it uh if you have people in certain positions within a company as your inside sources, they, they might not be privy to certain decisions that are being made. Because a decision like the one that, that involves Vince McMahon, that's very, very, very high level uh, stuff. Um, um, you, you probably shouldn't expect the wrestling media side to have that kind of insight. Now, that comes back to what the gentleman was saying in his tweet about whether or not you should have faith in them. I feel like, just in general, if you are gonna be a person who consumes a lot of the wrestling media content, rumors and, and those types of uh, reports, then you gotta know what you're paying for and, and, and kind of approach everything with a little grain of salt because you might have a reputable journalist or one who has earned respect over the years, but they're only going off of what they've been told. And they might have a source that they've trusted for years who has given them solid information over the years. Uh, but they might not. Two things might be, might be true. But maybe people are intentionally giving bad information from the jump, hoping that that stuff gets out. Or people on the inside are not given the complete story about a situation and they're only telling what they know. I mean, that's that's how it goes. I'm not going to... I know some people are going to knock them about sources, quote-unquote, but no journalist is going to tell who their sources are, not even in mainstream media. Sometimes those sources get uncovered and revealed later on. Um, but by and large, people who are talking to people to, to folks on the inside, I mean, that's, that's career suicide to divulge who you're talking unless that source is willing to be uncovered and be public on the record 
Um, there's nothing else you can really do. You can't really tell who you're talking to unless you want to sabotage your relationships with other people that you might have on the inside. Um, so that's, I think that's enough on the this wrestling media related subject. Time to move on to another Twitter take. All right, this one is going to be uh, a tweet in relation to TV ratings. So for backstory, uh, in recent weeks, we've seen the AEW Dynamite and Rampage numbers take a fall. Uh, in context, you'll know that they have seen competition from both the NFL, uh, sorry, NFL, NHL, and NBA playoffs. Uh, but that's, I want to say that there were like a couple of weeks where they might not have had any direct competition from those leagues. But at any rate, the, the ratings numbers have dipped. They haven't really uh, met the standards for a lot of fans. And that has provided ammunition for a lot of people who don't really like AEW. And that's without a doubt because these ratings discussions uh, are toxic <laughs> and very tribalistic in, in many cases. Uh, no matter what side of the divide you fall, uh, you can definitely find tweets from fans uh, that will be slandering one company over TV ratings, uh, often eliminating context, but you know they'll, they'll be slandering uh, the TV ratings. So I'm going to read this tweet. Uh, yes, I've seen the Rampage viewership and demo rating. Here's the thing. It finished number 22 for the night. That's still good. Uh, and was the only TNT TBS property in the top 50 for the night. And they're an easy target from me as well. But this ain't the ammo you think it is. And then someone follows up by saying, The ratings talk has become extremely tiresome on both sides of wrestling fandom. And uh, the original person responds by saying, They're all doing well. And they're providing content year-round that's constantly high in the rankings. All five shows are a steal for these networks. All right, so here's the kicker. The person who made that original tweet, not, a, uh, not an AEW fan. Uh, if you look at their timeline and uh, their podcast and some of the things they say, they are admittedly, I guess, I can't say by their own admission, but I think they might have said that they are uh, WWE fans and they say a lot of things that would hammer home that point. However, I think in this instance, the person is being more than fair about their uh, analysis or their opinion on the TV ratings discussion. They're being objective in a way that I don't think many others are. Uh, because I'm recording this segment here on Saturday afternoon. Well, Saturday morning, technically. It's like 11.44. When Monday hits, you're going to have people who rush out there at 4 o'clock to try and get their hot takes off about whatever the Rampage and SmackDown numbers are, especially if the Rampage numbers continue to take a little dip. Uh, I think last week they were like in a 300,000 range. Um, and if the SmackDown numbers are still in the 2 million range, you're going to have people who proclaim that to be a victory for the WWE and a defeat for AEW, despite the fact that these shows do not air on the same in the same time slot nor do they both air on the same types of television. They, one airs on broadcast television, widely available to everyone who has a TV set. And a, a, I guess every TV is digital, no more analog. But anyone who has a TV set can access SmackDown, uh, whereas people who have cable and have TNT as part of their cable package are the ones who can access 
uh, Rampage. And then, again, they don't air in the time, same time slot. <laughs> uh, but people are still going to try to draw those types of comparisons, which doesn't make sense and has never made sense. Um, now, we see it with Raw. So when Tuesday hits at 4 o'clock, if those Raw ratings dip below, I mean, because I think they're like in the 1.8s right now, if they go back down to like a 1.5, people are going to talk about how it's the end of the world uh, and WWE is going to be canceled. USA is going to boot them off and all kinds of doom and gloom predictions. Uh, we'll, we'll see that. And if Dynamite following Forbidden Door uh, fails to hit a million again, you're going to have people dancing around the proverbial coffin of AEW saying they're going to be booted off of TBS or the Turner Networks. And the truth of the matter is that none of us have the level of insight to be able to say what's what. Uh, we do not work for the Turner Networks. We don't know what the expectations are for the programs on the Turner Networks. We don't know anything from the USA Network perspective or Fox. We don't know any of this stuff. All we do know is what we see on the screen and I guess the TV numbers afterwards, but we don't know uh, what the decision-making process will be for any network going forward. What we do, well, all, another thing we also know, and from a layperson's perspective, is that if you're looking at the rankings, the wrestling programs tend to finish pretty highly when you compare it to the overall landscape. Uh, so for all these times where the WWE Raw ratings tank quote unquote they still finish like top five on their respective night and they finish and they, their night is pretty competitive monday nights especially during the fall they have the nfl's juggernaut monday night football um now with wednesdays dynamite finishes top five pretty regularly pretty uh reliably so when people talk about these ratings it's always out of context it's always uh well is always out of context and is generally from this tribalistic perspective and people were doing it even more so I think when AEW's ratings were like in the millions and talk and, and appeared uh, to be a viable quote-unquote competitor to the WWE uh, but now a lot of that rhetoric has kind of evaporated with the decline in TV ratings uh, but the people who were like fair-minded from the jump will always tell you yo these shows no matter what the ratings are they're still doing better than a lot of the other stuff that's on TV in those respective time slots. So it doesn't make sense for anyone to try to, you know, uh, predict doom and gloom for any network. And they're doing so out of tribalism. Um, so just be fair with your assessments and not really uh, go into all this toxic nonsense. Um, and I've, I think I've expressed that before. It's just way too much of that. And that's another reason why I think like uh, people who are involved from the business side and TV side should just get on with wrestling media personalities to give more context because maybe some of these insane takes about uh, and I'm not saying that the take that I read was insane but just the, the ones that are super tribal maybe some of those insane takes uh, will get cooled down a little bit uh, because there's more knowledge and information out there about how some of these things work um, but until that happens i think we're going to continue to see people salivating at the thought of a low number 
And, and when I say that, I mean across the board. They're going to wake up on Tuesday hoping for 4 o'clock to show some kind of bad number so they can come with the damn casket meme and, and the, the, the uh, tombstone meme and how the insert company is in the mud and all this other nonsense instead of just watching the show that they like and enjoying it for what it is and moving on and not really engaging in this bad faith nonsense that we see on the regular. All right, also related to the Forbidden Door pay-per-view event that will be airing t tomorrow as of uh, this particular segment's recording. Uh, I have this tweet. Pretending you don't know who Okada is to troll is so weird, and that person follows up. And I bet some casual fans don't know Okada, but some of these active viewers that are tapped into online discourse aren't fooling me. Now, before I get into my own response, I want to read some of the responses to uh, the tweets here. I've heard of them. I heard of them, but I've never watched them. In my opinion, the mistake AEW made is not showing vignettes for fans like me who never watched most of those in, uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling acts. Uh, someone else followed up with uh, to that comment and gave this response. Honest question. What would a 30-second video really do for you that commentary can't? If I made a video for everyone from New Japan, what would make them different? If I made, say, Dookie, I think that's how it's pronounced, a lower-tier dude, look as good as Okada, how then would Okada stand out? And uh, the response was, Vignettes have worked for 30 years. It builds anticipation and gives a good idea of that person's character. You only need vignettes for their big guns like Okada, Osprey, Tanahashi, and Jay White. The other guys can get the Excalibur bio. And then the other person responds back, uh, with the exception of Okana, Okada, they have all wrestled on Dynamite, and that did more than any vignette could do for introduction. Also, vignettes have not always worked in the 30 years you're talking about. Uh, so the two people who were responding in this little mini thread uh, or this segment, um, I just want to make it clear that they're not the original tweet that I read. They're not the person who offered the tweet about pretending to troll about Okada. These are two people who are responding to that uh, and having like a little side dialogue amongst themselves. Uh, next comment uh, related to the original tweet that I read. Pretending everyone watches New Japan and is aware of their roster is weird too. I love Okada, but we know the majority of the WWE fandom is ultra casual, casual, uh, so it's not a surprise. Uh, the original commenter mentioned the following, or responded with the following. I'm not saying everyone watches New Japan. There are casual who won't know who he is, but there are people on here who are way too active to convince me they've never, they've I guess he's saying never heard of Okada. It's a, it's clearly an attempt to get in a reaction. Exactly, the people that don't know who he is are probably not the same people posting who the fuck is this guy. All right, so now I think that's, let me go back to another comment and then I'll get into my thoughts. Uh, someone responded to this thread by saying, I don't buy the idea that the same 1.8 million people who watch WWE are quote unquote casuals. When they get a nice bump like this past Monday, that 300K extra are the casuals. And the original commenter, 
responded by saying, there is definitely a group of fans who don't read anything from news sites or listen to podcasts, but many of the fans online are way too engaged to pretend they don't know who Okada is. Maybe they wouldn't know someone like the great Okan, but not Okada. All right, so now I want to reel it back and talk about, it's just going to be partly anecdotal, and uh, my opinions are going to stem from, I guess, a, a certain it, couple of interactions so at my job right now one of my close friends uh is a wrestling fan uh he calls himself a novice uh, i guess that's the equivalent of being a, a casual fan by other people's definition he calls himself a novice uh myself and another co-worker i guess we're more hardcore than he is i guess uh in terms of digging deep into the wider world of pro wrestling so he's heard of new japan pro wrestling he's heard of certain guys because we've spoken of them and like shared some videos and by word of mouth he knows who Okada is uh, but in having conversations about AEW Dynamite with him uh, he has said that some of these guys uh, when he saw them show up and he, he's a bit thrown off by the reaction that the fans in attendance have for him uh, because he doesn't really know who these guys are so I think it's a valid uh, thing to say that casual fans who are watching Dynamite and seeing certain guys show up on screen might be at a loss for who these people are and they don't have the greater context behind it. Excalibur does try and I'll give him 100% credit on that like I did in another edition of uh, BK Talks where I talked about the CM Punk uh, retro entrance and attire for that dog, dog collar match where Excalibur did what a, an announcer should do in situations like that and he does that regularly he's the Mike Tanay uh, and I know some people are going to say that's sacrilegious but walk with me for a bit for a minute uh, he's the Mike Tanay in, in that he's the guy who's the expert on the things that the regular Joe Blow fan at home might not be aware of so he's going to give you the context my only criticism is that a lot of times his delivery is so rapid fire that it doesn't really uh, soak in at times but I give him credit for being the person, the go-to person to deliver that information, the background story, the context, the greater uh, story behind uh, a wrestler. Uh, but going back to the, the, the friend of mine at the job, uh, anecdotal again, uh, but he, he himself says he would have liked to see like maybe a vignette or a video or something to introduce some of these people. Uh, because when you're trying to gain interest in people that are not really widely known it's a nice way to get a little background and, and other companies do it not just the wwe over the past uh, 30 years in in recent times mlw has shown vignettes for octagon jr um and he's a guy who before those vignettes he was on tv but they did it as a way to kind of boost him up hype him up and kind of prep him for I don't know if it's going to be a, a real push or anything like that but prep him for more visibility uh, back when I was a kid Big Van Vader when he first appeared on WCW television they showed a lot of his stuff uh, from Japan they showed clips uh, over the years we've seen other uh, I want to say Tatsumi Fujinami and Ric Flair during that run up they, they showed clips from uh, Japan as well. Uh, when the worlds when worlds collide, uh, went down. There were clips. I think 
there's nothing wrong with showing clips. Like, I don't know why there's this real hard and fast pushback against doing that because you don't lose anything. The hardcore fans who know New Japan Pro Wrestling and are well aware of all of their stars are not going to lose anything if you take 30 seconds to a minute to like show clips of a certain person getting busy in a ring uh, to hype up people who might know, not know who somebody is. They might see somebody show up on screen, dude doesn't look all that visually impressive, and he might not even get a chance in this instance, like his debut, or you know, walking out to the ring, get a chance to show how impressive he actually is. But you can kind of build anticipation for someone just with a video clip or a little vignette or something. Because like Zack Sabre Jr., technical wizard, uh, but when he came out, walked out uh, recently, the fans in attendance might know who he is, but he does he's not a physically imposing, dominating type of uh, specimen, like visually, to make people instantly feel like, yo, this guy is a major deal. And you can tell people that he's a major deal, but it doesn't necessarily resonate the same way as if you see something visually that shows, yo, this dude is a whiz, like this guy... Get, gets down in the ring and it's not really maybe it's not a one-to-one comparison or analogy but I'm a big time dancehall reggae fan and I could you know talk till I turn blue about how great a lyricist and a hit maker uh, that Bob's Cartel is and he might be a name because he's like one of the top names in dancehall he might be a name that the hip-hop fan might know that Maybe a few people who listen to pop music might know. But me telling you how great I think he is does nothing to make it resonate for you if you don't know his music and haven't listened to any of his stuff. So if I tell you, okay, well, he did such and such track and it was sampled for such and such group or, you know, you know collaborations, then you start to kind of get a little more context behind why people look at him the way that he is uh, viewed. Um, And, I mean, that's the best way I can kind of put it. Like, you can tell me somebody's great, but if I haven't seen him be great just yet, I won't have the same level of of anticipation for it. Uh, And I'm not beating up AEW about not doing vignettes because sometimes if you have certain, like, Everybody doesn't get a, de- uh, a debut vignette anymore in wrestling. At one point, it seemed like everyone did. Uh, before a person debuted, you'd have like a, a few weeks of lead-up de- uh, vi- uh, vignettes before the person showed up on screen. You kind of got yourself ready for who this person might be. The vignettes often uh, gave a background story or a character to the person who's about to show up. But you can easily build interest in a character by having them do something really impressive upon their debut. Now with Okada, I mean, everyone knows how great he is. Like if you're in the wrestling media, not wrestling media, but in the wrestling bubble. Um, Like I said, I, I know New Japan pro wrestling acts that were hot maybe some years ago, but I'm not like heavy into New Japan Pro Wrestling now, but I know who he is. 
you know that he is considered a major deal, the, the flagship, one of the top stars in New Japan Pro Wrestling. However, I can say all of that stuff and be super enthusiastic and talk to my, my friend about that, but he hasn't seen the man do his thing, <laughs> like in any real extended way. So he won't have the same level of uh, enthusiasm for seeing Okada. And he's even said it. He's like, I know who this guy is because I've heard you and the other co-worker talk about him. So that's something to keep in mind. And he is online, but I don't think he's online deep into the IWC to where he's arguing with folks about pro wrestling. Like he, he's basketball and all the other stuff. Um, but he's also a wrestling fan. Now, back to the original commenter's statement. I also believe he's partially right. I believe that there are a lot of people who get on and for the sole purpose of trying to troll AEW they will pretend to not know who somebody is but then like some of those people are exposed later on because then they they can you might find a, an off quote about them talking about a wrestler from New Japan but it's very important in my opinion to really just be honest when you're talking about certain things like this and remember that overall wrestling is still kind of a fringe thing and even within our little fringe thing there are even more extremes <laughs> that people don't really get into because i remember when i uh got smart and before i got smart i was watching lucha libre but when i when i got smart it's not like i could talk to every wrestling fan in these yahoo chat rooms or the aol chat rooms about lucha libre wrestling you might have a handful of people in a in a big chat room who knew about lucha libre and i was watching this stuff like i said before i became a smart fan um so like when it comes to non-american based wrestling companies you gotta expect that you're in a smaller and smaller bubble within a already kind of niche bubble um but but definitely i i think there are people who are 100 percent being trollish and weird about okada uh, but i also want to say that you can't necessarily assume that everybody knows new japan pro wrestling because it, it, you can't you can't really point to a channel that it airs uh here in the united states and if you're talking about access tv it's the same same network that hosts impact impact is uh the highest rated show on all of access from what i understand uh, so that and people clown impact all the time so you can't ex you can't then go back and act as if uh access is a major tv foothold for new japan for wrestling here in the united states so i mean they don't have the same influence here and a lot of these wrestling fans who are engaging online primarily watch domestic wrestling products. Maybe some of them might venture into uh, Japan or Mexico or the Indies. But largely, they're watching the, the legacy programming of the WWE. They're watching AEW. They're watching U.S.-based stuff. Um, so I can reasonably expect that there are uh, a lot of fans who actually don't know who okada is and some of them are engaging in regular debates
but they're like I said, they're not watching anything outside of maybe the WWE in a lot of cases because the WWE has the the largest fan base in pro wrestling, and a lot of that fan base, uh, as somebody else said, is is I guess you can call them ultra casual. They they get their wrestling fix from the same company that they've been getting their wrestling fix for the last thirty years or so. Yeah, so. Um, so, I, I mean, there's nuance to this whole discussion. Uh, so I think the original commenter or that the person who made that tweet is correct in some respects. Uh, but I also think there's nuance, too, because there are definitely a bunch of people who really actually don't know who Okada is. Uh, and some of those people do engage regularly in wrestling Twitter. They just happen to have like a very strong WWE leaning in most cases. If, if they don't know uh, like New Japan alright this one is uh, <laughs> from a another polarizing figure in the internet wrestling community and someone that has like a YouTube channel as well I'm not going to post the name of the person as usual keeping with the spirit of tackling Twitter takes uh, this is like something I guess they wrote in the notes app I'll try to read it hopefully it doesn't strain my eyes too much reading on this damn phone screen alright it reads as follows since AEW started in 2019 it sparked my first genuine interest in the world of professional wrestling alongside Dark Side of the Ring I chose a side between two promotions and it seemed like a no brainer AEW I felt excited and included I was going to be able to be supportive of a professional wrestling promotion from its very first televised show how many people dreamed of that being a reality in the year 2019? What was once laughable was now going to be real. A promotion backed by a billionaire's son and someone who was used to the world of professional sports and mainstream media. I believe this promotion was destined for greatness and had a sure chance of bringing a fresh, new take into the world of professional wrestling. AEW was going to make wrestling something you could proudly admit to watching versus being embarrassed and closeted by your continued loyalty. As someone who was extremely competitive, I was ready to be a die-hard fan for them. I had seen Double or Nothing, and that's all I needed to believe in them. They didn't even need to try that hard, because for years, the professional wrestling fan base had been desperate for a competitor. Anyone to challenge the Disney of the wrestling world. Unfortunately, we weren't getting the cool, calm, and collected team we were sold. In fact, it was much worse than you could have imagined. The reality of what we got was that the WWE and Vince McMahon were right all along. Not morally, of course, but strategically. WWE didn't show a second of fear, and that drove AEW mad. AEW had about three months of strategy, and then nothing. Their plan was already stale and old. WWE had been a powerhouse of innovation for 40 plus years, and AEW hadn't even made it six months before the curtain was being drawn back to reveal their nerdy, geeky, uncool, goofy, embarrassing lack of a poker face. Tony Khan was simply a mark. He was only able to hide it for so long. The nice suits, the glasses, the quiet businessman, that was all a costume. His true colors or a Comic-Con Vince McMahon wannabe. So here we are, three years later. My purpose in the IWC was originally 
to critique AEW in hopes that they would possibly listen. If so many people agreed with my opinions, they would have to evolve and get better, right? But after AEW Revolution 2022, it was sealed. They weren't ever going to change. They were never going to get better, and they have only made the WWE stronger. Eventually, more and more fans will see it. They already have. The bar was so low, and somehow they manage, they only managed to go lower. I was a fan, a willing, excited fan. I was convinced things could turn around. But after three years, I know they can't. Uh, again, uh, I'm not going to name the person that wrote that thing on the notes app. Uh, the caption for that was, uh, was, the, was the following. As I have had more time to process my sudden extreme disinterest in professional wrestling, I think I finally understand why. I feel a little hopeless. I'm sure many of you can relate to this too. So the person who wrote all that stuff, like I said before, is a very polarizing account here on the uh, on the internet. I'm not really a fan of a lot of the stuff that they do. I feel like they they really try a little too hard with the comments, not the comments, but with the content they make uh, to the point where I'm not really buying the whole thing about this constructive criticism. I really do feel like they thought they had a lane uh, in the IWC as a critic. And maybe maybe in the beginning, they genuinely did have these optimistic feelings about the AEW brand. But like, I don't know. Some maybe I'm biased here by the fact that I'm not too keen on the person uh, and the account. <laughs> so maybe I'm breaking the spirit of tackling what it takes. Where I'm supposed to just objectively look at the stuff that's being said. Um, so I'll try. I'll try to do it. Uh, now, on the surface, I think that the sentiment expressed by that individual is shared by some wrestling fans because I've heard it expressed elsewhere. And when I say that, I'm saying that I have heard of wrestling fans uh, who said that they were very uh, optimistic about AEW's formation and they were all, I was going to say all in, but not going to work with the puns. They were, they were on board with the idea of another major U.S. wrestling company uh, being helmed by someone who's a, an actual fan of the wrestling business. Uh, and they shared their uh, support for AEW on the same grounds that I think I was happy about AEW's foundation. And for the record, I'm not one of these types of people who pick sides. The person in this tweet picked a side. I ain't picking a side. I like wrestling. I like when there are more wrestling companies. Therefore, I like AEW uh being a thing i liked it forming because it meant more wrestling more opportunities to see wrestling more opportunities for wrestlers that i like <laughs> uh to get jobs and that's the that's the starting end for my support for aew but beyond that none of the tribal stuff appealed to me uh, now back to the the comment that was made there by the by the uh, person i just read um i think there are fans who did grow a little disillusioned by AEW as time wore on. Uh, they thought that AEW would be wrestling utopia. Uh, 
Um, so, so many people tied up their hopes in AEW, and then when certain things happened, uh, it kind of took the wind out of their sails, and they, they realized that at the core, it's a wrestling company. I mean, it's not a revolution. It's not all the things that you thought it would be. It's a wrestling company that's trying to make a foothold here in the United States and eventually around the world. Full transparency, because I don't want to act brand new. Uh, had the opportunity to look back at some old comments I made on YouTube videos uh, in regards to AEW and its lead up. Um, and the revolutionary talk, I can say that from one standpoint, I thought they had an opportunity to be revolutionary or from two standpoints and that's like the employee uh, health benefits for wrestlers uh, and this idea that men and women would receive equal pay in pro wrestling and all of those talking points and this idea of a revolution and all the, the rhetoric that came from a lot of the uh, press conferences and rallies that from that aspect I did feel like AEW had a chance or could be revolutionary on those fronts. Um, however, I never bought into this idea that being a fan of AEW or rooting for AEW to succeed meant that you had to be in this war with the WWE or that you had to choose AEW over WWE or that uh, being a fan of AEW was like some kind of revolt against or a revolution against the WWE. And that's where I draw a little distinction there. Um, so I feel like it's important to put that out there because I want to be, I always want to be transparent about things. So even when like a, a thought or a viewpoint might have evolved over time, I want to be the, guy, the kind of guy that lets you know, hey, you can evolve your your thinking when you're confronted with new information or you think about something a little deeper. And that's what I did uh, and, and some other topics as well. Uh, but I wanted to make that clear in this particular situation. Um, but the, in terms of buying into the point the way that maybe the person behind that tweet did where they actively had AEW as like a proxy against the WWE that was not my that's not my thing I wanted to see a, a new company with the resources get an opportunity to get off the ground and they talked a good game about some aspects that I thought you know as a worker as someone who works someplace I thought that those ideas uh, whether had they been fleshed out and came into fruition would have been revolutionary for the wrestling industry itself uh, but Ultimately, none of that stuff actually ever happened. Uh, but I didn't necessarily throw all of my hopes and dreams into AEW, AEW to the point where they were a, a thing that could disappoint me to the point where I would uh, feel upset by them not fulfilling some of these things. I, I'm open to criticizing, criticizing them for things that they do, but I'm not the type who got overly emotionally invested into AEW the way that many wrestling fans appear to be in this day and age. Um, and another thing, I hope I don't forget this point, uh, with the person that made this tweet, 
I think they, at least by their own words, because again, I'm not 100% sure uh, about this person, they're controversial, but uh, they appeared to be of the belief that they could uh, impact and influence change in AEW with their platform, but uh, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's, the, that's another mistake that a lot of wrestling fans uh, make regularly, thinking that them individually can create a drumbeat to make companies do what they want. And it can happen, I guess, in some respects. Uh, but ultimately, I mean, those, those, those guys are going to do what they want to do because they are the ones put up, putting out the money. They have the ideas. They're going to go with what they want to go with. So uh, beyond that, I don't know what more you could really do towards that end. I'm, I'm trying so hard <laughs> to to stay focused on the actual content of the tweet and not really look at the back context behind that individual's Twitter account and their uh, YouTube channel and a lot of the other stuff that they've done uh, <laughs> because it's, it's kind of tough, man. Like on one hand, you wanna you wanna try to take that individual at their word because uh, they wrote the little heartfelt uh, notes app thing. Um, but then you, you almost, almost feel like you have to weigh that against everything else that they've shown of themselves over the past, I guess, year or so. Um, but let me, let me go back on topic. I, I'm sorry. It's, it's tough to like really stay focused on this one because like you're trying to be fair, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you, you gotta see things for what they are at times. Um, but I will try to like look at some of these quote tweets because maybe I'll be able to to give some responses to some of the quote tweets now here's one quote tweet for that uh, someone said you know you could just not watch wrestling if it has you this unhappy now this is a very interesting take uh, or interesting thing to say because I could probably utilize that same exact quote for the for a large percentage uh, of wrestling fans <laughs> online because uh, wrestling fans in general uh, based on observation seem like they're not happy to be watching wrestling uh, I mean you can look at the Twitter timeline during WWE televised programs and pay-per-views uh, and you you will see <laughs> that that same sentiment you could express because and 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 it might be even more applicable to people who have grown disillusioned with the WWE because some of the same people who are disillusioned with the WWE have been disillusioned with the WWE for like a decade and they still they still hang on. So that 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 piece of advice might be something that's a little universal. And just in general, like people shouldn't watch stuff that doesn't bring them uh, entertainment. Happiness is a bit strong. Uh, I don't necessarily watch TV shows to make me happy i watch shows just be entertained so i'll i'll modify it but if a show is genuinely genuinely making you feel unhappy i mean beyond not being entertained and making you kind of i don't want to use the word depressed because that words have meanings i don't want to just throw those kinds of words out there uh, so I, I like to be careful about uh, the, the utilization of a word like depressed and depression but if if pro wrestling is bringing you to this point where you no longer feel like you enjoy it 
and don't find it entertaining and you feel like it's really weighing on you, you got to do the sensible thing and pull back. I mean, uh, that's a, a major reason why I have pulled back from Twitter uh, to a degree. Like, I still check out the timeline, but I don't really frequent it as often. I do it whenever I got a little time, check it out for a couple of minutes here, and then I put it down. Because when you're bored and you got nothing else to do and just sit on the timeline, you're going to find some stuff that turns your stomach. <laughs> and it's probably not the best thing to do. And uh, I know my guy Rob from Rob the Genius Podcast has talked about uh, pulling back from Twitter um, and his and his podcast and on the Mindless Wrestling Podcast. He's spoken on that. So his advice and the advice here uh, that this quote tweet gave, I think that's very sound uh, advice for every situation. If, if you don't have to engage with something and you have the option and the choice to not engage with something and you probably should take that choice if if it's going to bring you if it's not going to bring you any pleasure and in fact if it takes away from your pleasure and your joy uh, sorry for the the little uh soapbox moment there so let me try to move on to another quote tweet related to that uh notes app message oh well actually let me stay in that same quote quote uh thread i don't know maybe stop choosing sides placing morality on an industry built on capitalism and maybe stop harassing and trolling another wrestling fan like blank did blank and blank's personal life would be a hell of a lot happier that's just a thought though so uh th that person who made this tweet is alluding to the the notes app person's uh past that i kind of uh referenced as well which makes some of this stuff feel a little flat um so i'm glad i'm not the only person who who uh who, who took that into consideration when reading it let me see if i get to some more quote tweets from the same thread maybe we got something else interesting here well someone said this is the most overly dramatic dribble i've ever seen it's just pro wrestling another very sound point and observation uh, pro wrestling should never ever take us to these depths and uh this is why I, I i look at a lot of the wrestling dialogue on twitter and in the iwc in general and just kind of shake my head at it like come on man this is ultimately wrestling the thing that a lot of us picked up when we were kids the thing that we watched while we were eating cereal in the morning uh, the thing that we you know practice uh, while you know wrestling with our stuffed animals and pillows and uh, having battle royals off the top of the bunk bed with your stuffed animals or your action figures like it ain't that serious like come on we shouldn't be turning pro wrestling into uh, another divisive uh, political debate <laughs> like it's just wrestling let it go uh, another, another quote tweet along the same lines here I'm gonna be honest with you, Chief. Choosing a side in a fake war is insane. Just watching, just watch wrestling, bro. Uh, that's the motto that I live by, man. <laughs> uh, well, someone else followed up and says, or honestly, just don't watch wrestling. Like if it makes you that happy, do anything else. I guess they they meant unhappy. Uh, there are roughly an infinite number of other hobby hobbies someone could have. Indeed, which is why I like uh, 
when I get bored, I used to stay on the timeline when I got bored, scroll, scroll, scroll. It's one of the easiest, simplest things to do when you're bored. But once I saw that things got a little too tense and toxic for my taste, I feel my little boredom time at home. Like if I'm not doing stuff with the family, I'm shoot, I'm going into my other hobbies, man. I'm a big sports fan. I like college and pro sports. I'm diving into stuff like that, the podcast, YouTube videos. I'm playing some video games. I'm doing some anything else but scrolling and arguing with strangers on the Internet about fake fighting. That that ain't me, man. That ain't never going to be me. (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Well, someone called it, you know, pulled up, pulled them up on the summer, summer jam screen, as the kids say, um, with a screenshot of the individual from the notes app being pretty toxic uh, themselves to an individual that was employed by that is employed by AEW uh, in the wake of Brody Lee's passing. Uh, so, yeah, again, a lot of people, they remember like the Internet is, is forever. You can't just come in, uh, have one of these heartfelt notes app messages without people kind of pulling those receipts and uh, making sure that making sure they're keeping you honest. Uh, another, another, uh, another quote. Let's see. All right. Oh my God. Or OMG. A whole essay. Some of y'all don't have a life outside of Twitter, and it shows. Man. <laughs> Uh, someone else called that person weirdo. Then you just get married. The fuck you worried about this shit for? I mean, that's a point. <laughs> wow. Someone says, I swear, people are being miserable just to be miserable. Like, are you not embarrassed by this? All right. Someone, make sure I... They don't have any names or anything in here that identifies them. Now I can read it. I take blank more seriously if one blanks takes then overwhelmingly didn't turn overwhelmingly negative after TK hit blank with a deserved copyright strike, and B blank wasn't so obviously pandering to the e drones, e drones whom white knighted blank after that in order to fleece them of money. I think that's it, man. Because most of the other takes that I scroll here, and there's some people who do agree with the sentiment, um, but a lot of the the takes, or a lot of the responses, quote tweets and replies, are basically calling this person out on their own behavior. Um, and I tried my best, so I guess I failed tackling Twitter takes on this particular subject because I try my best to to not let the individual giving the opinion influence the way I responded to the opinion Uh, and I think I do a pretty good job of that generally speaking but like it's hard to really divorce certain things from the person at times I'm gonna try to wrap this thing up with the last Twitter take for this episode no background needed I'll just read it straight up Uh, I'm a fan of both AEW and WWE I'm going to say this, though. Fans who stick strictly to the WWE have to be some of the most miserable people in the world. They work overtime to shit on other wrestling and bring others down. I'm going to read a response that kind of encapsulates my thoughts. Uh, As much as I agree and respect this tweet, I would like to point out the other side of the coin as well. Non-Fed fans that can be 
arrogant, condescending, and have an elitist an elitist mindset because they watch beyond Vince McMahon television. And that's the kind of uh, take that I have, man. It, I, the toxicity and the annoying factor, not exclusive to any one brand of sports entertainment or wrestling. Uh, you got snobbish type wrestling fans that have been around forever. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've I think I might have mentioned this before. When I first became a smart fan and it was in the chat rooms back in the day, you had wrestling fans who were like all about whatever wrestling company they liked the best. So you did have the WWF wrestling fans who were talking shit about everything else other than the WWF. You had the WCW fans, you had the ECW hardcore fans, even into the message board days after the company died you had people uh, who were like extolling the virtues of ECW and, I, and for the record I, I was a big fan of ECW in addition to everything else but I, I really really liked ECW you had fans who were hardcore about Puro and that's how I got introduced to Puro uh, Japanese wrestling um, but many of those fans who were hardcore and ardent fans of Japanese pro wrestling uh, in particular some of the all Japan super fans were like incredibly difficult to deal with back then in in chat room. So this stuff isn't really exclusive to any wrestling company. And then nowadays, if you're looking at uh, fans, because I spend a lot of time uh, when I do check out the timeline, just examining how the debates are going between people, uh, and that's why I've begun to pull back from Twitter because I've observed a whole lot of stuff and fans AEW fans can be just as uh, I don't know if the word is vitriolic but if it ain't then whatever uh, but they can be just as toxic uh, as the WWE fans in terms of trying to promote their brand their favorite brand of pro wrestling and they try to act as if their only their, their brand is the only brand or the superior brand and if you don't watch exactly what they like then there must be some kind of moral failing uh, with you. And in the case of AEW fans, it often trends on, treads on this line where you're not intelligent enough to get the things that AEW are doing. And that's, that's crazy. This is just pro wrestling. No wrestling company has a monopoly on toxic wrestling fans. I mean, that's a, a thing that they can equally share in. All right, now we bring this episode of BK Talks to a close, the Tackling Twitter Takes edition, and I guess technically it's Tackling Twitter Takes 2, just so I can beat you over the head with a little bit more alliteration. Uh, I did begin recording this episode prior to Forbidden Door with the intention of having everything uh, finalized and edited uh, so that I could release it before Forbidden Door happened. That didn't happen, obviously, uh, as I'm recording this one. Uh, quite a few days afterward um, so I, I feel like I should add a, a few thoughts about Forbidden Door and then a subsequent Blood and Guts uh, Dynamite um, into this closing so the overall uh, viewpoint from my perspective about Forbidden Door is that I enjoyed the show I know that there are a lot of people out there who are trying to immediately rank it into the all time great category but I'm a very simple guy I really don't do well with match rankings and match ratings and show ratings and show rankings. I'm just a guy who gives it a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, I feel like with the current, I guess, 
sports culture for the most part. We have a lot of this prisoner of the moment type uh, feeling behind our analysis where we try to place things in this greater context and I think time is probably the best way to do it. I think with time you see how certain things hold up and then you're able to place it amongst all the other things that have happened. Uh, But the show itself was entertaining Uh, despite the criticisms about the build. I feel like the crowd element was huge. Like the United Center audience, the people at the United Center were really, 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 really invested in the show. Uh, And I think that their energy uh, was something that the competitors all fed off of because those guys seemed like they really brought it. And uh, it, it kind of gave that show a certain, I don't know, like a boost to where it didn't feel like this long, drawn-out event. And it was it was shorter than, uh, I believe it was shorter than Double or Nothing that happened a few weeks prior. But the show seemed to move along for me. Um, I'm not going to do a full match-by-match recap or anything like that. I'll just touch on a few things that kind of stood out to me. Uh, Swerve and Keith Lee were on the pre-show, and it seems like they're going to further pardon the background noise again, further continue the story behind their eventual split. During the matchup they won, uh, but they had some moments of miscommunication, and it feels like the split up between these guys is inevitable. And the genesis was at the uh, Casino Battle Royal a few weeks ago. Now, for the main card stuff, um, I feel like the Orange Cassidy and Will Ospreay match stood out to me. Uh, I'm not a guy who knocks goofy gimmicks and silliness in wrestling. I I keep saying it all the time. There was a point when I was like 9 or 10 years old where I rooted for Arachna Man, (laughs) the phony Spider-Man. Brad Armstrong in a uh, yellow and blue Spider-Man knockoff costume. And I rooted for a team that was from WCW Special Forces that involved a a soldier and a firefighter. So I have no room to talk about goofy gimmicks. Um, I will say that uh, the Orange Cassidy gimmick might be something that some fans uh, start to lose interest in. Like once you see it a few times, it doesn't really hit the same because it is always going to be impressive to see a guy do the things that he does with his hands in his pockets because you don't have any way to brace for yourself brace yourself when you're on dives and uh, the core strength that it takes to do the nip-ups and all the moves that's impressive Uh, uh, but I could definitely see why some people feel like the gimmick is wearing thin on them because once you see it a few times you know it's coming Uh, you might lose interest that said, him and Will Ospreay put on a really, really good matchup. Uh, I was invested in the result, even though I knew that that result was never in doubt. <laughs> you knew Will Ospreay was going to come out uh, with the W. Um, and I'd like to see those guys actually wrestle again in another uh, big spot. Not necessarily like a TV match, but like in an a- another actual pay-per-view matchup. Um, my favorite match, I would say, is the four-way matchup for the All-Atlantic Championship. Uh, my guy Pac finally got a piece of AEW gold. Um, 
everyone thought Miro was going to do it, and I, I kind of thought that they would go with Miro, but I think they're going to tell a greater story with him and Aleister Black at some point with two guys who on the AEW roster who who have characters behind them, and I think it'll be compelling. Uh, but my guy, Pac, wins the inaugural All-Atlantic Championship, and I'm hoping that it means something for him. One of my favorite AEW guys from the from day one of the company, and uh, it was just time. <laughs> uh, Clark Connors got to be in this matchup due to issues with uh, Tomohiro Ishii. I'm hoping that uh, this is not the last time that we see Clark Connors. I'm a fan of him, of his, and being that he's a regular on New Japan Strong, which is based here in the United States, maybe that means that we'll see him on AEW programming in the future, and he gets a a better chance to showcase what he can do in the ring. Um, the the main event. Well, let me before the main event, the IWGP Championship match, another four way dance. Uh, I didn't like it as much as the All Atlantic Championship match, uh, but it was cool to see the reactions that the, the fans had for Okada. I also feel like uh, this was a good showcase for all four guys, but I, I want to say that Adam Page. He got busy in the matchup, and you got to find a way to continue to make him look like a big deal in the wake of him losing his championship and having him perform well in the big matches like this. I think it goes goes a long way. Now you got to continue pushing that forward uh, with Adam Page. Adam Cole got hurt, which uh, made that finish look a little wonky, and I'm hoping that the rumors of him having a concussion. I'm hoping that he, if that, if the rumor is true, I'm hoping that he recovers fully because I know he was battling injuries going into that matchup, and it's been a, just a bad stretch for mainstream pro wrestlers in the WWE and AEW with all the guys that are sidelined at the moment, and uh, it just highlights just how risky a profession pro wrestling is, and uh, these guys go out there and, and give it their all just for, you know, for the check obviously, but for the entertainment factor for the fans so i always gotta give respect to those guys for putting it on the line uh, and with the main event we had moxley that's a foregone conclusion uh winning the interim AEW championship uh, but what i liked the most about that matchup was how i think tanahashi was able to kind of turn that crowd in my opinion where they seemed like they wanted him to come out as the the victor and I'm hoping that this is not the last time we see Tanahashi in an AEW uh, ring and in a high-profile uh, spot in AEW. Uh, that matchup ended with uh, Moxley hitting his finish, being a champ, and then a big brawl broke out at the end between the two sides that would meet at Blood and Guts. So now I'm going to move on to talking about Blood and Guts, the, the pay-per-view, not the pay-per-view, but the main event matchup of this recent edition of Dynamite. So I'm a sucker for the War Games match. I'm a sucker for a lot of different types of, like, match types. Uh, but the War Games match is always going to be visually impressive. And uh, this is, like, the second uh, year that AEW uh, has uh, been able to show this match concept. Um, the two sides have a good story behind them. 
and that's always good, and that's always uh, a major factor in these war games matchups. I know, sidebar, a couple, a few years ago, uh, people were talking about how NXT and the war games matchup uh, was kind of indicative of matches happening just because of the specific date on the calendar, as opposed to having like a real reason to happen. I disagree with that uh, at the time, and I disagree with it now. I feel like. Uh, that war games matchup the women's war game matchup and the men's war game matchup i think that was the pat mcafee year um those matchups all made sense within the context of the, the stories that they were telling at the time so it didn't really matter uh that it's a scheduled pay-per-view or not the stories made sense um now blood and guts made sense here as well because of the stories that were attached to the respective sides and as long as that part is nailed, I'm good with the match concept. Now, I, I agree with the general concept about specialty matches and gimmick matches being used in modern-day wrestling. Uh, and I think WWE and AEW are both guilty in that regard. Um, but back to the actual... And I'll, I'll probably touch on that in a moment because it's going to come up uh, with Rampage. But... Um, the Blood and Guts matchup was entertaining for me. It, it kind of lived up to the whole Blood and <laughs> Guts moniker, you know, with, with the blood, the carnage, the chaos. And that the chaos is a big factor in why I do like war game style matchups and, and multi-man matchups. Um, the one thing I will say is that it's got to be tough for production to stay on top of the important stuff because one minute you in the middle of a move and then the next minute you're like cutting away to see the reactions of the teammates that are not yet in the matchup they might be outside the cage looking at what's going on and you're trying to like build the drama by showing the facial reactions but then you're losing some of the action and then when guys climb to the top of the cage it's like everything below it kind of stops so um, th that's something that's always going to be a factor because uh, the, the war games cage in uh AEW is like the classic lid cage, like a cage with a lid on it. Um, so, you know, the big spot always happens in these types of matches where you're going to throw someone off the top. And that's what happened here with Sammy. It came off better than the last year's situation with Jericho falling off. Um, so I can't really knock that either. <laughs> uh, so the action was, was really good in my opinion. And... Uh, it served the purpose. Uh, now, Rampage is going to have another gimmick match, and that's going to lead to a lot of criticisms about AEW and its perceived reliance on gimmick matches. Because we've seen like a host of ladder matches or matches involving ladders. We've seen a, a host of street fights and brawls. Speaking of which, there's going to be a street fight match next week on Dynamite between Wardlow and Scorpio Sky for the TNT Championship. Uh, we've seen just a lot of blood we've seen a lot of stuff that didn't seem that that wasn't really so commonplace uh at one time in pro wrestling appear to be commonplace now um so with rampage you know they're gonna have to make use of the fact that they have two rings at the venue and they record rampage right after dynamite and so they have the royal rampage which is like an uh, another I guess variation of the Royal Rumble match that the WWE has made famous, uh, and if you can recall to a previous episode of AEW of uh, BK Talks, 
I mentioned how I thought that the battle, uh, that the uh, casino battle royal was like another, was a variation of uh, the Royal Rumble or AEW's answer to the Royal Rumble. Well, uh, the Royal Rampage will be, I guess, a variation of World War Three and the Royal Rumble. Because uh, it's like multi-ring, two rings. World War Three obviously had three rings. If you're a fan who remembers the WCW gimmick match, I know that that, that match gets a lot of flack from wrestling fans, but I, I've always liked it. Again, I'm a guy who likes the multi-man matches and carnage. Uh, that was also hard to follow. I can I can agree, with, like fans and production teams. Uh, but the Royal Rampage match is going to be essentially the Royal Rumble, but with two rings and with 20 competitors, 10 per ring. Uh, I think there's a one-minute interval in which these guys uh, enter the matchup over the top rope rules, and then the winner gains a shot at the interim champion, John Moxley. I don't know what the field is. I know I looked at the graphic, and I did see Keith Lee. I saw a swerve. I think if you hold the graphic uh, to be accurate, they're not going to be in the same ring, so there probably won't be any interaction between the two unless they're the final two competitors, uh, which will be inter interesting because then that would mean that these guys would be in a position to eliminate each other. And we, if you flash back, Swerve eliminated Keith Lee in the Casino Battle Royal a few weeks ago, uh, which kind of set in motion what I perceive to be their big split uh, coming down the line. So that'll be, that'll be very interesting to see if those two guys end up in the same ring and they eliminate each other to further their story with one another. Uh, but in, this, in addition to the whole uh, use of the gimmick match, I saw someone else make a point about the use of the rating, ranking system, which I kind of alluded to with the Casino Battle Royal thing in the previous episode, in a previous episode, uh, that... They're utilizing these gimmick matches as a way to, to get challengers uh, or contenders when they already have a ranking system. And I do feel like this is like a unique situation because, I mean, you don't necessarily want to have the two rings there uh, on Dynamite and Rampage since they're taped the same night and just have a whole Rampage episode with two rings and not make use of the second ring. So I can, I can see that the unique circumstance uh, made this something that AEW felt like they should probably try and it'll probably come off pretty well because I'm a fan again of the Royal Rumble match and uh, I like it <laughs> I like the concept but ultimately I, I do hear the complaints and the criticisms and I feel like they have some validity to it because if you're if you're looking at AEW programming and you're seeing like certain match concepts or specialty gimmicks come up uh repeatedly it does make you feel like hey they're trying to just use this stuff to to like as a crutch and that's that's their prerogative that's their perspective they're trying to uh, woo an audience and visually i'm sure this matchup will look good i don't really have a prediction for who will win i just know that the winner ain't beating moxley because the money match has got to be Punk versus Moxley at All Out if he's able, if Punk is able to return by then. So I think that's a, a nice exit point for this episode. Uh, once again, thank you for listening. And uh, I guess I'll catch you the next time around on another edition of BK Talks.